everyone, it's Tom here, back again for another edition of Alpha Metallica. We have ended 72 season season. We are now onto the portals portion. We are, you know, working our way through this, quite frankly, brilliant instrumental EP. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm also a huge fan of instrumental music in general, and as is my guest, but we're going to get to that shortly. Very special guest. Just before we do, subscribe to us on YouTube. I don't often really say that at the start of episodes, but... I've realized that some, there's some absolute treasures in the closet that unfortunately my YouTube channel got taken down. Mentioned this about episodes passing. But yeah, if you want to help support, you can go over there and, you know, check out the old, uh, the old Ray interview or James Roll from Angry Video Game Nerd. But um, yeah, just before we get to today's guest, you can get in touch with me at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, if you want to cover something from the blacklist, which we're going to be getting on to after Portals. If you want to support us, well, there is the YouTube, obviously. Uh, Twitter's there, at MetallicaPod. Patreon as well. If you want to listen to the next episode of the show right now, you can support on Patreon. We're going to be doing a lot more episodes as we end portals and go into Blacklist. I've pretty much got the first, like, 20 episodes booked. So that's, I think, like, the first four songs of the Blacklist, maybe five. But, yeah, uh, got a lot of old favorite guests that didn't join us for 72 seasons of portals, but and some new ones as well. So, yeah, and there could be you on there. Charlie, uh, there's no golden ticket. It's just metallicapod.gmail.com. Just get in touch. Just say Tom, blacklist, question mark, and uh, I'll send the invite. So, uh, yeah, today's guest is, this is a big thrill for me, because this guy is absolutely monumental to the show, really. Because not only is an old friend of mine, but he's an old friend of yours. You have heard his work, count, hopefully countless times, hopefully on all the Alphabetallica replays, he is someone who composed that tune, that tune that itself went on to be covered by Chaosware, which I loved in a nice kind of, you know, internal dialogue there. But uh, yeah, he's been on the show many times as a guest. He also did the Metallica theme. Alex, how's it going, man? Hey, Tom, thanks very much for getting me back on the show. It's fun to be doing some podcasting again. I actually have done a fair bit of podcasting in the past. Oh, yeah. But I, I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm returning to like an an old favoured leather chair by having a microphone so close to my face. I, I, I should stress that, yes, Alex, with, with another friend of mine, Toby, me and Alex went to university together. We lived together. We met in first year. I'm, I'm sure we're going to touch on this throughout the, throughout the episode. But, uh, you know, he and Toby, someone else that I lived with and, you know, good friend as well, legend, they did, in my eyes, very biased eyes, I might add, but definitely people do agree, very highly reviewed regarded show. They did the best ever podcast on the wire called Caught on the Wire. You guys dissected it as David Simon deserved. Yeah, we um, we had a real project going on there. It took us, I suppose we were doing weekly episodes more or less, so it took us nearly two years mm. to do this uh, very in-depth pages and pages of notes. It's like 150 hours in total of just talking about The Wire. So I think we covered... The thing is, is I still don't think we covered everything because I've since watched The Wire since then and been oh, like, course. oh yeah, we could have talked about this, we yeah. could have talked about that. So we did, our, we did our best at the time. Yes, yes. And also I did guest on a season one episode. So if, if people want to dig right back oh, yeah, in the archive, course, yeah. they, they can check that out. But no, seriously, it is, it is an utterly fantastic show. And I've had that itch myself actually recently. I know you know, and I, I've told the listeners, I'm sure, that I'm a diehard fan of Treme, which was mm -hmm. David Simon's follow-up, so to speak, to, to The Wire, spiritually, certainly, uh, a bit more Altman-esque in its storytelling, but, you know, portrait of New Orleans, uh, the musicians, the politicians, uh, you know, the, the teachers and, and, and whatnot, and the chefs. But, um, but, yeah, I'd love to do a podcast like that as well. But as you say, you have to do so many notes. And I think maybe that was the pull for Alf Metallica for me. It's like, 
ah, I can pull this out of my ass respectfully. Like, <laughs> even though I love the band, don't get me wrong, but it's like, you know, it's not, it's not too much. But the, um, the song today is an instrumental tune. And as I say, we've known each other for a long time. And I think one of the sort of cornerstones of us becoming friends was we were both into like, you know, so much different instrumental music, uh, you know, Boards of Canada and so watching from afar, you know, these sort of groups, Fang, etc. Like, um, was it a surprise to you as an instrumental fan to learn that Kirk was doing an instrumental EP? Was, was this something you, you might have expected or was it quite left field? Um, I seem to recall there was some talk of like solo uh, output from other members of the band because mm. um, there's, there's a bit of controversy around their old bassist wanting to do other stuff with another oh, band, yeah, isn't Jason, there? Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, when I heard about it, I was a little bit, um, I suppose I was a bit circumspect about it because uh, I'm not a massive Metallica fan, but I do know a fair amount of their catalogue and I really enjoy all their documentaries that they release of process of making albums. Actually pretty brave to do that, mm-hmm. to release that kind of process. Um, but I was a bit worried that it was just going to be like instrumental Metallica songs. And I wasn't wasn't quite sure what it was going to be like, so it was uh, actually a pleasant surprise because I did listen to the whole EP, and uh, it ended up being a bit more than what I expected. And I think the the Ennio Morricone influence is pretty clear mm-hmm. on uh, Kirk here. Obviously, he wants to. It does feel a bit like his pitch to be a film composer. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> and I don't say that in a sort of belittling fashion. No, it's no. More just uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It's more just um. This is this is his attempt to try and create a bit of a a bit of a musical world from from the you know the the inland empire of the imagination. Mm. No, absolutely, and I agree as well. When I listened to it, I was pleasantly surprised, and when I revisited it for this series again, I was just you know there, there are many layers to be found, and you know we'll, we'll get into the song in a moment, but you know I feel maybe it's not particularly as innovative in like a riff way or necessarily are there are there melody lines that really astonish and blaze through me but in 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 the same breath the kind of you know the strata of it the the different pieces the way that instruments interact is pretty masterful actually and yeah it doesn't feel like a instrumental metallica song at all but um is there much of a like a background to this with his creation of it is there is it all fairly kind of casual and oh yeah i've just created a a solo ep or is it was there a desire? Did he express a desire to do something different? Yeah, I mean, EP-wise as a whole, it seemed to sort of stem from I think you know some earlier sessions, pre-COVID sessions that then germinated uh, during that time and beyond. But he did speak about High Plains Drifter. Actually, he did make a statement because this was the first single, and he said that he re- he didn't intend for it basically to be a you know a High Plains Drifter Eastwood you know Priory sort of song. But he said, quote, it conveyed the same sentiment as the film, so the piece was christened accordingly. And, you know, that that element, I mean, we've covered XC of Gold, of course, but yep. that sort of, you know, southern Stetson tip kind of, you know, the black bars coming down, the showdown, the dead, I don't, I, I don't know, you know, it, 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 I guess it's just in American music, it's in music full stop, really, but it's definitely in Metallica, and it is manifest here. Yeah, no, I did see a... Um, interview where he describes the whole EP as a collection of gateways to myriad musical yes. and psychic destinations and created with what I describe as an audio cinematic approach and their soundtracks to the movies in your mind you know so it's it's definitely 
I, I very much relate to that kind of process. That's how I, I would be remiss of me not to plug something on a podcast, Please. which I'm sure I will do more of at the end. But, <laughs> but I do write a lot of instrumental music yes. as well, so I can relate to that process of, you know, what I just what I mentioned earlier, like the inland empire, the sort of the the power of the imagination, and mm. that you can also leave it up to other people's interpretation and hear how other people, how other, how your work strikes other people in in the, the mental audio cinematic world, yes. you know. Yes. And High Plains Drifter is a direct reference. This is mm. a 1973 American Western that was directed by Clint Eastwood. You know, insane that he was directing even back then. I'm pretty sure his first film he directed was Play Misty for me. Quite a good thriller. But I mean, even up to like, I think he directed like In the Line of Fire and Gran Torino. And, you know, he, he did that Iwo Jima film, which was great. But yeah, so in this film, Alex, like pretty, pretty typical plot. So it's Eastwood, and would you believe that he's a mysterious stranger who wow. meets out justice? Uh, but to be fair, the, this mining town is corrupt, and um, yeah, this is this is quite quite a celebrated film. Actually, I haven't seen it myself, but it's got kind of this ghosty western vibe. Um, and I've certainly heard High Plains Drifter and that kind of archetype, you know, plays for all this sort of stuff. But um, I, I always dig a direct reference, you know, a name check. Yeah, is that? Um... That doesn't strike me as all that common with Metallica. No. It seems like a bit of a departure for Kirk. Like he wants to make a more direct homage. Both this is for movies, and... get it? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is quite a overt kind of, sure. here's my intention. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I like I, this sort of music in particular. This, this flavour of portals that you don't really hear much, you know, throughout. This departs for the most, out, for the most point, out of these kind of longer, proggy, more, more fancy sections. This reminds me a lot of Dirty Free, who I'm, I'm a giant fan of. I don't know if you listen to Warren Ellis, the Australian trio. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're beautiful kind of, you know, ambient washes at times. But again, kind of digging. It's like Nick Cave, a lot of soundtracks to, you know, that he's done Jesse James and stuff like that. It kind of, kind of has that element to it, um, which, which I really do appreciate. But yeah, just, just finally, High Plains Drifter. Interestingly, one of those films that has very high rotten score, 94, 69 on meta. So I think, you know, things may be closer than they appear. But yeah. Clash he- of the aggregators. <laughs> well, it's, you know, they tell me what to watch, dude. Like, they, they gave me an opinion. <laughs> I on. need to know what my opinion is. <laughs> and Kirk also said on this song, Quote, it was a two and a half minute piece and I really liked it, but it was one of those riffs that would be hard to integrate into Metallica. Now, what's he talking about there? The middle riff, the beginning riff? I, I think they'd all kind of work, maybe. Yeah, they, they don't seem... You mentioned this earlier that it's not that experimental or that no. striking with its riffing. It's quite... It, I, I don't don't think I would go quite so far to say that it's safe, but it's not, no. it's not all that dangerous either. <laughs> um, no. But it does weave, just with this track in particular, it does weave in and out of the, we talk about the film composition thing, like the immediate impression mm. you get is that with that intro is the desert vibes and it has that yep. that minor turn in the melody that's going, yes. sort of modulating down. And it has that Ponticello string section in the background, mm. which is very, very deserty. Yes. Um, but, but it obviously does then take on a bit more of a Western tone. It has these flamenco guitars and it has the inversion of the classic, well... Maybe, maybe more accurately, you should say stereotypical Mexican Central Central American guitar lick. Sure. You know the dun 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 dun, dun. Yeah. but it kind of does it the other way around. It does the dun 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 dun, dun instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel all that daring, 
but it does commit pretty strongly to this film scorey vibe up until we get a bit more of a almost symphonic metal sure i mean the power chords are out in full force at that moment <clears throat> and you know i'm sure a few trues out there finally started to headbang and you know appreciate it but but yeah it, it's again it's called high plains drifter you know it's building with this kind of faux puss in boots like flamenco strum you know mm. um straight into the action as well it, it, it you know made in the monster and the gin, you know, they built slow. This is kind of what Metallica does, really. Tease a bit of the melody. It's like post-rock does, but I think mm. in a more satisfying way. But but yeah, this is... I appreciate it. It's, it's tense and, you know, standoffish. Literally, it feels a bit like a standoff, you know. It feels like the kind of es- uh, aspect ratio, uh, you know, tightening. But um, but yeah, there is that, you know, the minor turn of the repetitive figure, as you say. And you can... I, are you a fan, you know, of when the strings are mimicking the guitar and the strings will drop out and the guitar has a moment? I, I think it can work. Yeah, the arrangement of the the arrangement of it is quite nice. You got some harp and mm. and the, obviously there's the strings and that. And I I think some of the credit probably has to go because Edwin Outwater is credited yes. on this track as well because he did like the the conducting for the other musicians and he's worked with Metallica before I believe. Yeah, S and M two. Yeah. So it's quite a well it's quite a well arranged piece. Um, you mentioned about the the melodies. Actually, I do think that the the rousing kind of uh, what, the rousing melody that starts as that horn line at yes, the beginning. Yes, that is, yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the strongest lines on the whole EP, actually. I hear And the you. way that it gets developed later on, mm-hmm. I think that that's quite nice. It has this sort of, it turns from a complaint, contemplative line to quite a sort of, we're going to make it kind of melody. <laughs> it it's does. quite rousing it by is, the end. It is, it is. feels and very John Williams-y to me. Like. Yeah, yeah, it mm. does, yeah. I can't help but think that he's heard that ecstasy of gold uh, intro so many times that it's just sort of it's <laughs> bleeding into do? every part it's like you just can't shake that influence because it definitely yeah. has that morricone williams style massively uh you know golden era of film music kind of style mm. to it definitely yeah it does and yeah i really like that part as well i will say that is a standout um no it's frankly quite gorgeous actually it's quite simplistic but it has this frost to hit that kind of penetrates and colors you know the opening motif underneath it it builds interestingly and the song doesn't dawdle it doesn't it doesn't drift you know um and i do appreciate the soundscapes uh, you know as it pulls through but we don't really get much time in any position because as we go on from this piece we then do what the song likes to do what what many songs on portals like to do that kind of segue into the clean sparkling arpeggio right and and, mm. and that happens quite often and it's often to contrast against the the grimier parts of the song but again i do like that and again the horn comes back and they're more resonant and it's this crowning sort of anointing moment of the tune you know it really has a palpable sense of kind of you know no line on the horizon sort of thing cormac mccarthy you know a somewhat you know the wild west but um, then the drums come in. It's it's the Queens of the Stone Age drummer as well, interestingly. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, d- d- definitely. Like you've said before, that it doesn't really hang about, and it does no. try and get a bit of momentum going, and starts to building more on those themes and doubling them with other instruments. And so, yeah, it definitely doesn't um, doesn't hang around too much with its ideas. I think there is a danger that it becomes too too backgroundy and it's because it's not actually dedicating itself enough to an ambient music style pure texture mm-hmm. and a vibe i think it was running the risk of being a bit pedestrian um but so that quick movement between all of the sections is a, is a good decision 
what do you think of the um what do you think of the solo in this tune um it's it's interesting because you know i have critiqued kurt quite hard for probably his last 20 years or so of playing you know with, with the greatest respect you know check out again as i always say my top 10 kirk solos episode like there, there are moments of, of pure bliss in his playing that i'll return to for the rest of my life but you know he has been a little his metallica word stock you know he has been a little formulaic for me for the most part he has been trapped in certain patterns and over-reliant on war and really kind of squandering these open goals from hetfield these you know incredible chords underneath these choruses to lead out and these outros to close and you know i just it, it's been a little dispiriting so i've definitely enjoyed kirk himself has said it's been a bit, a bit more of an automatic writing thing on this it's been more of him sort of chant which it always kind of felt like to be honest with you but um the solo, yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, one of my favourite things in music is a solo closing a song, you know, and just like Night Train or Tunnel of Love by Dire Straits or, you know, many more examples that I can't think of. But just, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, just ends with the solo, ends with the fade out, whatever. Not necessarily in this point, but the solo, it hits certain sweet spots and bends, but it feels like it's getting onto something. There are, you know, some satisfying kind of gasping moments, but it feels like it's getting on something and then it just sort of fades out. And yes, for the most part, it it's is... It's quite short, isn't it? It's very short and it is just kind of clusters um, of notes for the most part. And there are still Kirkisms there in terms of his kind of, you know, really quick retreats down the fretboard for no real reason that they just feel very patterned. And um, I don't know, what do you think of it? Well, the, fu the first thing that struck me about it is how loud it is in the right. mix. Yeah. I, I even turned it down on the speakers and it, it sticks out massively from mm. any other part of the tune. So it's, it's, it seems a bit too loud. Um, but yeah, it's 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 sort of nothing special. It's just sort no. of okay. And it does, it's short, which part of me thinks is to its credit because of what's going on there. It's not, it's not exciting enough to make me want to hear more of what's there. But it also feels like it's just on the cusp of developing something kind of interesting, especially the first section where it's a bit more melodic and it yep. rises up. But yep. then we get our then we get our widdly diddly pentatonics, mm -hmm. and it's um and then it just kind of you know you get your classic, uh, double stop bend. Oh yeah. Into the into the fade to the end, and then we kind of get what is quite a, quite a standard ending for a lot of the tunes on this EP, which is the sort of the slow the slowing down of uh, of some kind of main melodic figure yeah um to a very you know decisive ending of some kind like the end of a scene i suppose it's mm. again going for that film score thing so it does feel like the end of a the end of a scene the fade I'm glad out. that there are no fade outs not <laughs> not like a proper fade never the no. fade out never no, the fade the, out yeah but the 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 sort of the decisive ending so i appreciate that i think that the solo is is okay but it doesn't mm. hit the heights that it thinks it could have done there's a, there's you know there's a quite an interesting chord progression going on underneath like harmonically the whole tune again is also just on the cusp of doing something quite interesting but doesn't fully commit to it like it almost has a it almost has a phrygian flavor to it it's like a mode right. of the major scale um but actually it mostly it just goes between like B, it's like B flat minor and then it's going to its dominant key of F minor it kind of goes between these two things and it also has two endings that illustrate this as well it has the ending of the solo mm. which is B flat minor and then it has the end little tag at the end which ends in F minor but it doesn't end with like the Phrygian kind of thing that I want I wanted it to really commit itself to that slightly <laughs> weirder sounding Phrygian sure. thing so because at the end it's like da 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 but it should have been da 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 
da, da, right? Mm. It should have been Phrygian with the flat two, and it just doesn't commit, <laughs> and I wish that it did. <laughs> that is, yeah, that that is one of the criticisms of this solo, that Kirk doesn't commit. I mean, there's certain times where he has airtime on certain lines, you know, and it's kind of that classic, like, you know, on, on Call of Cthulhu or on Fade to Black, where Kirk just gets so much out of one note, you know, over the great chords, as you say, underneath. But here, less so. And yeah, it kind of just ends on a whimper, doesn't it? It's not a fade out, but almost in spirit it is. It kind of, it can't conclude the track on a little bit of mystery or just on, a, you know, a single solo note or whatever. It just kind of has to, you know, retire in the corner for a little bit, which which I understand. And it, and it does kind of have that element. But probably, the f- probably my favourite part of the song is just in the middle where we get into, you know, for me, the creeping death chords, like creeping death, and it says, like, you know, it just feels like exactly the same sort of sequence there. But this is something that Kirk wrote. I mean, maybe, you know, he's not aware that he self-plagiarized or whatever, and maybe he's not, but he did write this riff famously for Exodus, and they use this in the uh, in the breakdown in the middle section of creeping death so uh yeah just a just a funny little coincidence there if nothing else but perhaps an internal homage so yeah we get this moment and this is the epitome of the album for me where different instruments in the mix you know in edwin hands or whatever they get a chance to um to just you know have a little bite of the apple and to try the melody for themselves so we get this so it's like at first we get the guitar and strings getting a go which is akin to the intro and then it's more of like the pearl of the drums and the keys and i really Mm. like the percussion in this element actually i really appreciate that and um, i was looking into that drummer by the way so he is uh, john theodore and he's actually in a side project i think you might remember i was definitely (laughs) really into this at uni um one day as a lion which was it was Ra- the rage vocalist uh, Zach oh, De La Rocha. yeah that rings a bell and they yeah. were just like a, they were yeah they were pre- pretty cool but uh so so yeah um you know they all get turns there's the strum flamenco guitars as well and there's some plucking uh, you know I, I really like that sound but um but yeah after that everything just kind of answers each other and ramps up and what what would you think of this uh this you know kind of dramatic middle section it's um again i kind of have to repeat myself and say that it 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 is emblematic of the just not quite enough commitment Mm. not quite as much as i would like because it shows the use of all these different parts of the instrumentation and the orchestral flavors and also some more um sort of non-western flavors and i mean western in the sort of uh, hemisphere kind of sense um and that we might be you know it almost has a middle eastern flavor in places and it takes on this mystical vibe uh, that to somebody who who lives in england you know comes across as a bit more like we're going to some far-flung land and it doesn't quite go far enough like that middle section is a good example of giving all these different instruments space but it's still we kind of feel an inevitability that we got to go back to the to the big drums and the distorted guitar and and i kind of think that the, mm. there's a bit too much of the symphonic metal bit yeah for overall i kind of would have wanted even more of that middle section like you say more space for all those other instruments there's just not quite enough for me but there's some there's some strong ideas like melodically you know like that horn line that comes back later on the guitar i think that that's quite a strong very very filmic um motif mm. um so I, I do like that i do think that's that's good work and maybe we'll see kirk hammett do some kind of film score unless he already has i don't know but 
you know, it, it's like I say, it's a good pitch for his work as a as a composer, really. Massively, no, absolutely, and no, no, he hasn't at this point, but he has, you know, maybe a sort of Danny Trejo, yes, ultra violent kind of <laughs> epic, something, something with the schlock, with the greatest of respect. Oh yeah, it's like, gotta be, you schlock, know, not sure. like, like it would be amazing though if it's so well received. The next Coen Brothers movie. It's just Kirk. Yeah. You know, but I feel like, yeah, it has to be in this kind of like... Collaboration with Johnny Greenwood, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be... Wow. Uh, but, but but yeah, he, again, probably the best bits of this song aren't Kirk, you know, as mm. well. Like, you know, like you say, it is it is the kind of strings and it is the different kind of instrumentation there. But there are still moments of his that I do really, really enjoy. Like, one of my, you know, favourite sounds in this genre is the tremolo guitar. You know the single note heavily just ringing out, and you have the ratata percussion and the the solemn strings. I mean, all of that is kind of like catnip for me, and I do really like that sequence, that section. It's you know, it the song deserves to be as long as the other songs. Like you know, there's so mm. much in this tune, and Kirk really you know down to the solo doesn't let anything kind of kind of ring out. But um, yeah, really really enjoyable song. Like you know, I again. I, don't mean it as an insult but i don't really find myself humming this one you know it is very familiar it is on that sort of track you know it is kind of like okay morricone whatever it's scratching that itch but if you judge it more as, as film music and obviously there is this music video as well it's kind of very impressionistic kind of take on the story really well done but um but but yeah no i it's it's, it's quite a satisfying uh, satisfying tune and again just demonstrating the full extent of, of kirk's bow kirk and collaborators it should be said as well because this song, everyone is just sensational. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I think it's probably the strongest track on mm. the EP. Is it? Is it sort of a single from the EP? It was the first or? single, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. It, yeah, it definitely stands out the most, I think, from because I did listen to it all the way through a mm. few times as well as in isolation. So I, I think that it stands out the most to me. But it, but like a lot of the EP, it is it is satisfying. It is um it is quite um transportative in a way with some of its themes but it's not there's not a there's not much in the way of earworm no no but it has it has a very satisfying progression to me it reminds me actually i was i was just recently um you will know you will know this gentleman alex sam wiles's paul mccartney podcast so yep. good friend of the show sam wiles has a paul mccartney podcast paul or nothing definitely check it out i've guessed it on many times and one of the things we do is we we sort of try and talk about I'm like, you know i only go on every like few years whatever but we always try and talk about like obscure mccartney stuff that people might not be aware of so i know you're a big beatles freak as well but have you heard of the fireman paul's like electronica project from the 90s no <laughs> well definitely worth checking out we've done the first there's three albums we've done the first two we just did rushes which came out in 1998 and that reminds me of this song in the sense that it just it will begin with a riff right the, the songs on that album are normally like nine minutes long, but you skip ahead six minutes and it's still the riff. Like things are built around it, but it's still the same tempo. It's still the same pulse. It's still the same vibe. You can still hear it underneath all the different layers. So I do mm. really appreciate the from where you begin in this song, you can skip ahead three minutes. It's like, you know, it's just, it really is just notched up. And I love the retreat back to the chugging as well. You know, the ding, 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 ding. Like that is, again, I think it's, it's Kirk's stamp on this where, you know, he, he really makes it his own there. And that's quite a kind of original combination. Like obviously it's been, you know, heavy metal, symphonic metal, whatever. But I feel like, you know, from the S&M school, it just really, they really complement each other. And the, the transitions between, 
when you think about where we start and where we end and the transitions between all of the dynamics and the the intensity it's it's done well it can be sometimes when that's done badly it can be, be very awkward or it can feel a little forced and it doesn't feel that way in this no. tune it does it does feel collected together in all its different elements quite nicely and what do you make of the kind of the explosion <laughs> at the end you know the thing we're building towards there's that ah! you know there's everything's going on at that moment like oh yeah well that's that that's that melody that's that mm-hmm. sort of like we're gonna make it it's very yep. triumphant um but there's a you know there's a bittersweet element to their recognition of of what the cost of our victory that kind of you know it's got that kind yeah. of uh, vibe to it so but I, I think that that's you you definitely get the payoff there i do think oh, yeah. that again film music wise we've we've established a theme and then we've developed it not just as not just as a melody, but we've developed it as uh, its emotional quality as well. Um, but I think that um, if I want to add a sort of film music critique to it, um, I think that it's always a good idea to try and take those motifs and those melodies and rather than reproducing them wholesale and altering their emotional context. It's always nice to weave them in amount, uh, weave them in and out of other sections but to change them melodically to suit other ideas as well so they can match mm. up. So it's almost like you're sneaking in right. that idea in other places as well. And here it's, it's, it's either there or it's not. It's either the exact melody or it's something else. Whereas I quite like it when composers in film will weave together some of their motifs and ideas and you'd be like, oh, it's those two ideas at the same time and they're just tweaked oh. slightly to work together. There isn't really any of that, so maybe that's something that he could try in the future. I think that would be interesting. Is that like a leitmotif, or is that a different classification? Well, leitmotif comes from like Wagnerian opera, where it's meant to represent a specific, uh, like a specific character or place or something. Ah. Um, ah. So that that idea ended up um, being sort of ata- uh, adapted into film. So it's the same idea where your motif is supposed to represent a specific part of a film or a place or a person. You know, think Lord of the Rings, where you have, they have all these themes for Rohan and oh. for the Fellowship and all this sort of stuff. But if you listen to that film score and other film scores like it, there, there's the moments that people remember where, oh yeah, this is the theme. But all the way through all the other parts of the score, the motifs are blended in in unexpected ways, in different keys, with alterations to the melody, and they're all just weaved together to make it clear that none of these motifs exist in isolation. They're all connected together in, the, in together as a story, and that's what makes really good motivic work in film music for me, is the ability to blend it all together into a complete work rather than just saying, here's this theme, now here's another theme, now here's another theme. You here's know what the I mean? gin theme, yeah. No, yeah. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But... I think it would have been cool if as a concept the whole album had tried to, like, blend some of these ideas together like a well, film to say this is all a total piece. work you, you know? know yeah yeah, yeah obviously but but that's some some you know kirk i know you're listening uh <laughs> you know <laughs> just a thought for the future for the next grindcore epic that, that yeah. he may he may score so um so yeah that is that is basically our thoughts on high plains drifter definitely get in touch with me metallicapod at gmail.com also if you want to come on the show all that good stuff i do want to talk quickly about instrumental music alex because it's mm. it's something that means a lot to us and you know it, it, it was important for me to have you on for this episode and you know hear your thoughts on portals and high plains drifter etc but but what, what is the peak to you personally of instrumental music what do you really really love um well it's an extraordinary 
broad term, of it, course. Because uh, um, yes. at the most broad, it would have to include <laughs> hundreds of years of orchestral music and all that. But I, yes. I'm going to presume that we mean to isolate it to like the popular music period of like the mid 50s onwards. Sure. Because there's a lot of like great instrumental uh, music. I mean, it's quite hard to tell how popular pure instrumental music is because it's not been all that commercially successful in the last no. like 40 years, say. But it because it was a bigger deal in like the fifties and sixties and seventies. You get like instrumental jazz standards and surf rock and mm. like Fleetwood Mac's Albatross and oh my god, like pick up the pieces. Average white band. I'm pretty sure that was a number one. You know, so you, you do get um, you do get these classic instrumental tracks, and in the last sort of thirty, forty years, it's become a bit more underground. It's a bit more. If you make the distinction from say dance music. It's isolated into like niche genres, so post rock and prog rock and ambient music. The only thing I can think of that's like close to being mainstream is lo-fi beats to study with on YouTube or something. You know, that's like yes, the mainstream yeah. equivalent. Um, but yeah, instrumental music—it's—it's it's always kind of been my preference. As much as I love plenty of vocalists and songs, like I, I love plenty of music that has singing in it. But there's just something really fundamental about the enigma of what's being expressed. And how the listener is encouraged or even forced really to do the same from their own perspective because mm. i find a lot of lyrics to be a bit superfluous and yes. a lot of what lands for me vocally tends to be more on like the challenging and cryptic side um and i also don't think that music is this sort of direct translation from feelings into sound yeah i think if one could truly make a complete transcription of a feeling into music it would either become a tedious exercise in efficiency or just completely redundant um and you can kind of get away with a lot more when you have vocals i think your average audience is probably more tolerant of a generic or amateurish artist with vocals than they would be with an instrumental act because there you can't um you can't like hide behind the instant empathy of the human voice um so there's just something about instrumental music for me that is just it has this beguiling and like rudimentary nature to it that just in general i think that's just why i've, I've always gravitated towards it um with that in mind mm. i think some of my favorites um well it starts for me with like your classic prog rock instrumentals you know your king crimson's your your oh, genesis yeah. you know have you like, ever listened to um octopus well, no, Gentle Giant, sorry. Gentle Giant. Oh, yeah. Octopus. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. really like Gentle Giant. Um, yeah. They have, a, I think, The Boys in the Band is one of their early classic instrumentals. Yeah, they're a great band. And then there's, uh, you know, you have to talk about guitar player solo albums as well, because, you know, I, both of us play guitar, oh, and boy. I think there's a lot of great sort of virtuosic stuff. But it's not just about how great the playing is. Like, a lot of these guitar players are just great composers mm -hmm. as well. Like, I think of something like... Um, you know, Alan Holdsworth is a big oh. one for me. If you listen to something like City Nights or Letters of Mark or um, Above and Below, that's kind of a newer one. It's not just the virtuosity. like He's just got a totally unique harmonic language. It's just bewilderingly beautiful. It's just yeah. the, like You just listen to it and it just kind of makes you laugh at how clever and, and how bizarre it is with its yeah. harmonic language. And yes, it, make, it makes sense still. I feel um, I feel the same way about <coughs> Pat, Pat Matheny. I've been going through oh, a yeah, giant yeah. Pat Matheny phase lately, all the way from like Bright Size Life, the debut, which I think First Circle. First Absolutely love that album. I don't it's know so nineties, and I He's love got it. So many records. Secret Stories, a real nineties one. I think won the yeah. World Music Grammy or whatever. But um, but yeah, he him and Bill Frizzell as well are mm -hmm. capture exactly what you're saying. That kind of 
you know, we both play guitar, and you know, I'll, I'll freely admit, you are you are a great guitar player. You know, in comparison to myself, at least. But I've I've seen you play like full Steve Vai. Uh, what did I see you play? Die to Live? Did you play? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, which is a. I mean, yeah. Again, yeah, I love that tune. Brilliant tune, right? Brilliantly composed tune as well. But um, but yeah, man. I mean, uh, first circle. What else? Listen to first circle. First circle. Yeah. I mean, I'm the Alan Holdsworth stuff as well. I'm jotting notes. Like I I know him. Um, you know, I don't not as well versed as like say a Chick Career or something like that. But uh, or a Mark Rabot is is and he's in a really good. Um, he was in a really good, quite short-lived supergroup with um, yeah, but they're like UK or something. Yeah, UK. Mm. They've got. I think they have two albums, but their 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 first album, their self-titled album, is really good. That's that's like everything that's great about prog from that area, and none of the none of the wastage, none of the none of like the sort of pointless gristle. Mm. It's just it's all the good stuff, and I think that's a great album. Um. M- more sort of um 80s new age acoustic guitar players i gotta say michael hedges of, oh my god aerial boundaries incredible and, yeah that's yeah. an incredible album oracle and, as well is a good one by him yeah definitely michael hedges let's talk about one i think we we both of us are really really chomping at the bit to go for when it comes to instrumental music and that's that's post-rock mm. in all its forms what are your what's what's your zenith jesus post you can I mean, go by wave if you like as well I mean, <laughs> you know, by waves of post-rock because there's multiple waves <laughs> post-rock changed my life actually post-rock was access to a whole you have that new tattooed on like, <laughs> the back of your neck yeah under my arc tangent uh 09 you know trusty there but but yeah no it was it was this completely new language really like i had been into we should say as well what post-rock is which again is like defining what the black country is like it's quite difficult like the geographical boundaries of this thing spectral as well but essentially post-rock is you know using rock instrumentation for non-rock means i suppose in a certain way so Mm. using drums and using guitars less as kind of forward-facing riffing although there is of course that and soloing and lots of conventional things but it's also to create this kind of crescendo like element to it this kind of euphoric essence and I mean, yeah, post rock, instrumental music. I came way of your Steve Vai's, your Paul Gilberts, your Richie Cotsons, your Joe Satriani's, your Eric Johnsons. You know, all these, all, all these white men, all these white men British guitarists who who were all you know fantastic and inspiring, and I'm still a giant fan of. And then, yeah, I think it was Last FM that just drew me to like Caspian on some random tip, and uh, you know, they're, they're a terrific. Rec- I mean, yeah, Caspian. Uh, you on the conductor in particular um mm. that first that first album um no that's the ep right what you are conductors the ep and yeah, the album is the album is the four trees the four trees that's right the four trees um but but yeah i mean <laughs> it, it is a wide church that genre a band that i love dearly that we saw on the 2010 tour that i saw them this year in birmingham and so watch you from afar I oh, yeah. really genuinely feel that their first two albums are some of the most inspired guitar playing of, of this type that I've heard in my entire life. Like the way the two guitars interact, the confrontational heavy nature to it, the really kind of slick melodies, the ways it can leap into this complete kind of bonhomie and then it can just get really grisly on the turn of a dawn. I think I think the rest of the discography is fine. Like it's quite good, don't get me wrong. But yeah, those two, those two records really bowl me away as well. Um, I mean, I mean, there's so much, isn't there? Explosions, we've we've got to mention also, which is very much like my my first post rock band. You know, it's like everyone sort of starts there, I suppose. Yeah, interestingly, with post rock, it didn't the 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 early era of it when it was first being described in that way was not instrumental. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you have your bands like um, um, 
you know slint, slint and yeah. bark psychosis and talk talk and yeah and um you know hood and bands like that like they were they were still writing songs really just in a more experimental way um so it's really that second wave of post-rock where you get your mogwais and your and your explosions in the sky and these kind of bands where it really commits to this more emotional crescendo like uh, experience i think i've got to mention um godspeed you black emperor oh, we're going to talk about post-rock as well um which is very you know a little bit more dark as like music of a, of a sort of beautiful apocalypse mm-hmm. it's very very dark and quite cynical music but but really just in, in, encapsulates everything when you listen to it they're, they're very a very weird band but uh, very interesting and then um if you want it to be more like jazzy and you know math rocky however you want to describe it you have bands like toe oh my god um, a very special bands you know for long so tomorrow and um oh, the book about my idol plot their, their yeah. second record yeah yeah they're just really really good band and very interesting slightly more on the jazzy side so um have toe peaks though i feel like they're i'm not saying they're bad <laughs> now but like the last couple of releases have been fine but i don't yeah. think i've actually listened to their latest album yeah, yeah. That, I keep I mean, meaning to do it, and I just haven't done it. Very interesting band, Toe. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening probably won't heard of them, but uh, definitely a band will, you know, we both recommend. But yeah, Japanese band that doesn't really use distortion, right? It's like layers of clean guitars, the drums. They're all about that guitars. sort of uh, Telecaster clean yeah. sound. They're all about that. Yeah, yeah. Really, really wonderful music. Cannot, cannot recommend it highly enough. But um, Alex, what about uh, what about your music? How do people? access to that uh yeah i suppose it would be remiss of me not to uh, not to plug my own music i do play in an instrumental band yeah that's my, right my, of course <clears throat> yeah my, my i'm in a band called neverbody we're a trio um somebody once described us as um if pat Matheny played post-rock funnily enough right. um nice. which is a great description of yeah. it and i wish that i'd thought of it um which yeah so that's a fairly accurate description of it really i suppose that we do take this kind of cinematic emotional approach to it but i try to one of the things with the project is that i'm always trying to stretch my guitar playing with it so i don't necessarily want it to be virtuosic but i do try and make all these arrangements on the guitar and there's sort of a mixture of techniques and the like so it's quite atmospheric but also kind of technical at the same time um it's so, excellent. It's excellent music, yeah, and people can find <coughs> it on the streaming platforms. And but we released a single, quite a, one of our slower tunes, a while back called First Light, and that's got a really nice um, music video made by a Scottish visual artist called Laura Spark. It's very kaleidoscopic and it's all handmade and hand animated. Mm. Um, so yeah, she did a really, really, really lovely job with that. So check that out if you're interested. It's on YouTube, First Light, um, by Neverbody, and uh, we've got a we're working on an album at the moment hoping to have that done by the end of the year and we've got a couple of eps on spotify and the like so that sounds like your sort of thing then then have a listen yeah Uh, live at fresh goods uh, live ep right that's very cool you got that that's our yeah that's the one that we we recorded all live and also did some videos live as well and just tried to make it like a sort of a listener's personal performance like this it's meant to sound like especially with headphones like you're sort of in the room with us whilst we perform for you mm-hmm. so that's kind of the, the whole idea of it really excellent man well this has been a treat to have you on and to chat the song and to chat music and you know yeah. i'm sure we'll have you on again i mean we've had you on a few times uh, yeah i didn't know, realize I just... it had been so many times we we've discussed the first one was ain't my bitch right ain't my bitch this episode that's released may 3rd 2017 so I mean. more than six years ago, you were on the second episode of Alpha Metallica. Yeah, that was offload. 
I think we tore it a new one pretty much. Um, I remember <laughs> us not really being big fans of it. And then I don't, don't remember it being very good, no. No, and funnily enough, uh, less than a year later, in 2018 February, we did XC of Gold. That's Alpha mm-hmm. Talica 42. So, you know, the resonances there are obviously quite obvious. And uh, then the final one, I forgot we even did a Lulu track. We did Mistress Dread. Mm. I think I've still got my notes for that somewhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I want to. Every, everyone should go back and check these out because yeah, I'm just. I don't know. It's mad how much we've done, how much we've spoken about, how long we know each other. But it is no great to have you on the show, man. Is there any um, final thoughts before we conclude? Um, only that it would be nice to see a bit more of this solo stuff. I mean, Metallica. I've listened to bits of their latest album, and. I don't know. I've kind of, I have to admit, I've kind of like tuned them out a bit in recent years because I don't really know where else there is to go mm. with that project. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you don't agree, and there's some subtleties to it that I'm missing. But I'm mm. Metallica as a whole musically, I'm just not sure where else there is to go. So it's quite nice to see someone like Kurt come out and being like, "Hey, I want to write film music," you know. So I, I do appreciate that, and would like to see a bit more of it, <clears throat> a bit more experimentation, being a bit braver. But I get the impression their latest album is a bit more like we're going back and doing classic Metallica. We're doing OG thrash metal. Uh, That's the impression I get. Yeah, unfortunately, you, like millions of others, myself included, were a little misled because maybe you got that impression because the lead single was Lux Eterna, which is a three minute Mm. song. And I think that means it's at least, you know, three minutes shorter than any of the other songs. Unfortunately, the majority of 72 Seasons is just kind of quite broad. That's how long it lasts. Well, no, that's the thing. It isn't. (laughs) So it's all 72 themed around that figure. But the actual album is 79 minutes. And literally, they could have cut seven minutes. No problem. (laughs) You know, there is. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty inexplicable and pretty excessive. But but yeah, so no, um, the rest of the album isn't like that, unfortunately. Uh, okay. But but I would have yeah, that would that would have been very exciting to see. So um, so yeah, guys, as always, get in touch with me metallicpod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show, if you want to come on the blacklist. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube as well. We uploading more and more stuff over there. Patreon is available as well. But yeah, this has been Tom and Alex. Thanks again. Thanks very much for having me. If for any reason. You want to see about my exploits as a as a composer and producer? Yes. Then I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all that. Or sorry, X. I'm not going to call it that. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. Um, <laughs> and uh, at uh, Cultural Music on there. All right, we'll put all the stuff down below, including. I mean, we'll put some links to some of the records as well, so people can check that out. But uh, yeah. Alex, this has been great, my guy. Yeah, thanks very much for having me back. It's nice to to be back in the podcasting seat. <laughs>